Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Sue Sue is today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast. Sue is the first chief people officer at the media company Time, where she's focused on culture building, recruitment, and human resources, also security, facilities, and other operational areas. She joined Time in 2018 after several years with the U.S. Department of State and Defense and an extensive career with one of the world's largest private philanthropies, the Rockefeller Foundation. Sue is passionate about education, diversity, and inclusion, sports. She sits on many boards. She holds two master's degrees, and she's the loving wife of one of my besties, Chad. And she's an auntie. Welcome, Sue. Thank you so much. I'm so psyched. So this is happy so. To be here. We're having like a little impromptu podcast, and um, it's crazy when you interview someone who you're friends with and who you've known for so long. Because in researching you, I was like, holy smokes, you have all this. You're layered. I knew that. But you have all these things. I've really known you as like Rockefeller Foundation and time. But you had a whole like life before. Who knew? So funny. And I feel like the first time I met you, we could have predicted into the future. Podcasts didn't <laughs> exist. But you knew that when they existed, Shauna would be running one. You're the <laughs> wonderful conversationalist. Oh, that's sweet. And Thank like, you. Let's tell stories. I don't know if you know about this, but we will be uh, shooting off some rapid fire questions. Perfect. First question. What have you read, seen, or listened to that's helped shape your life? That's a hard one. It is. And it's not really rapid fire, right? <laughs> okay, so a book or a movie. I know you don't watch a lot of TV. You know what? This is going to sound funny. I um, There was a made-for-TV movie about Nadia Comaneci, mm. the Romanian gymnast who scored the first perfect 10 in Olympic history. And it was when it came on when we were little. Mm -hmm. And I think she actually doesn't like the movie, <laughs> as a side note. But I watched it, and I was living through this period where I was – one of the only Asians in my neighborhood and very much put in a box. Like, you can't play sports. You're this. You can't do that. You're supposed to, like, play piano. Yeah, and, like... exactly. And I, I was straight out of central casting. You know, I had the glasses and I was good at school and all of that. And I did play piano and I loved it. Anyway, I watched this movie and I was mesmerized. And they were doing all these sit-ups and V-ups from that day for years. I Every night I did like a hundred V sit ups. Oh God, you're so perfect to be married to Chad no. <laughs> while he's doing his push ups. But it gave me such confidence, and that oh. was what helped me do a lot of things that I never thought I could do. That. We're gonna get, we're gonna get back <laughs> to the so V ups. Funny. V ups are hard. They hurt my back. Okay, what quality do you most value in a friend? The truth. I love that. And if you could have lunch with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be? I would love to have lunch with my grandfather, who um, passed away when I was really young. But this is on my mom's side. Um, and he was a literary critic at a time when South Korea was really going through a lot. I would just love to sit with him and hear what that was like and hear what my mom was like. I've asked this question several times, and you're the first person who said 
one of their grandparents. And when I was asked the question, I said my grandmother. <gasps> really? And a part of it that I said is that I want to talk about what my mother was like. Oh, my God. Yes, totally. Isn't that weird? That's so great. I, I love know. that. But I know. she tells all these wonderful stories. He's, he's such an amazing human. Yeah. And she tells all these fun stories about her being mischievous. I'm like, tell me more about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's your favorite place that you've ever visited? Um, I, one of my favorite places has been Libya, actually. It's in a really difficult time right now, but I had the extraordinary opportunity to go serve there when I was in the U.S. State Department. It's a part of the world that I had never been to. Um, it was at a moment in time between our two countries that was really interesting. And I was, um, so grateful for the opportunity. I met amazing people who are thinking about their future, um, fellow colleagues who are really thinking about who we were um, as the United States in an area. This was back in 2005. Wow. So we had been in, we had gone into Iraq two years before. Gaddafi had just given up his weapons of mass destruction a month before. What was it going to be like to rebuild relations with Libya? And it was just incredibly humbling and an amazing learning experience. Wow! Truly. So um, I'm going to I'm going to give you an easy that. one now. Are you ready? Great. Okay. So since you had an opportunity to live in Singapore, yes. What's your favorite dish that you would eat most frequently in Singapore? Oh my gosh! Oh my! They were all so good. Yeah. I loved um, uh, chicken rice, Chinese chicken rice. It was so good, and you would get it at these hawker centers, which is yeah. basically a collection of street food in different places, um, and it was delicious. It's Rice and chicken and greens. It seems so straightforward, but it was delicious. I need love. to. I need to. Love, love. That sounds really good. <laughs> so um, good. Okay, so you've mentioned you mentioned your grandfather. Are you first generation? Right. We talked yes, about this. Yes, born at here. Yeah, yeah. And so your parents are from South Korea. Yes. And what are they like? Um, I would love to meet them. They are. I know they would love to meet you. I sent them pictures. Oh, <laughs> hanging out. Um, they are angels on this earth. I mean, they both grew up in Seoul at a time when the Korean Peninsula was not north or south, but just Korea. Um, and they, my mom came to the U.S. in 1967 and my dad in 1969. And they both came for educational opportunities. And, um, you know, they went through some pretty hard times. And they, they, they had known of each other in Seoul, but they officially met and married here in New York, or in New York. And um, my dad, I mean, he worked in a corrugated cardboard factory. He worked the midnight shift. He has all these crazy stories. He, um, he like, lived on one Twinkie a day for the longest time. He tells this amazing story about how he lived down the block from a rotisserie chicken shop. And the rotisserie chicken shop was between his apartment and the bank where he had to deposit his check. But because he couldn't afford the chicken, and, you know, rotisserie chicken smells so delicious, yeah. he would walk all the way around the block to go to the bank because um, too tempting. it was so hard. It was Aww. so hard. But, you know, and, and my he met my mom, and one of the things, one of the moments when he said he, like, fell in love with my mom is that, you know, he went to go pick her up, and he opened the door, and... You know, he could see it's a small space. There's a mattress on the floor and maybe a lamp and that's it. But she was like so proud of it. She wasn't like shy or anything else. She was just really happy and grateful to be there. And um, and they have never um, in all of the ways that roadblocks were thrown up in front of them or maybe they weren't treated so well. They never talk about that. They always talk about how we can give back and how um, opportunity is for us to really um, think about and 
um, and hold on to and share yeah. with others and and make a path. Obviously, you know, through my work, I meet so many people. Yes. I would say you're in the top five most positive people I've ever met. For real. Your energy is, I mean, I just would love to know what you're like, like behind closed doors. Like, <laughs> on like a bad day, I'm going to call Chad and ask. Like, what like... happens when Sue's in a bad mood? <laughs> is there such a thing? I don't know. I, um, it's such a good question. I don't mean to be cheesy about it. I don't know. I'm so cheesy. I like, I just, it's. I you just literally like jump up and down, really like great. clapping I, I do every time I see you. <laughs> You're just a happy person. Is your brother like that? He is much more grounded. He is. You're grounded. He is, he's my. He is an amazing person. But he's less. He will. He'll. He'll watch me jump up and down. He's not necessarily going to be the one who's jumping up and down. But he also is an optimist, and he has two little boys who are the lights of our lives, and um, and they're growing up with that optimism too. Are so. you more like your mom or your dad? You know, that's a great question. I think probably on the optimist side, possibly my mom. She just keeps going. I mean, she is like... Is she... um, Because, I mean, I would call you definitely very career-minded. Yes. And very focused, but not necessarily money-motivated. Correct. What is your fuel? Like, what gets you out of bed in the morning every Um, day? I think the chance... This is also going to sound really cheesy. We just have to like, here's a little caveat. (laughs) Everything will sound, I would say not cheesy, but it will sound positive because that's who you are. Don't apologize for that. It's one of your best qualities. It's so great. nice of you to say. It's I mean, true. Um, I think it's the opportunity to to make something good happen. I re- it's and was that you more... in like middle school and grade school and I, high school? I think it a fl- a switch sort of flipped kind of around the time of the Nadia movie. <laughs> um, but I remember growing up and um, and again being so grateful for my parents. But at a time when I was teased a lot and bullied a bit and all of that stuff that happens when you might be the only one who looks like you mm-hmm. in a neighborhood. Your school are... your school was all non-Asian? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was all... Public school? Public school. Public school. And I, to be super clear, and I'm always really careful when I talk about this, um, wonderful friends also. But then there no, are kids that. who are like pretty cruel. If you listen like... to the podcast, and we have like a handful of people who listen to more than one. Yes. <laughs> I'm kidding. But there are people <laughs> who are like, oh, I listen to them. I'm finding that there's a consistent theme, um, a lot of people were bullied. Yeah. And a lot of people, it is a little bit like a switch goes off. They're like, I'm not going to be a victim. I'm not going to do. And it's so interesting because I remember this happening when I was like nine or 10 and what goes through a nine-year-old's brain. And it's Mm -hmm. sort of like, I'm done with the boxes, like no boxes, you know, (laughs) like it's just, um, and I remember... Do you guys remember the physical fitness test in school? Yes, where you have to like climb the rope <laughs> yes. or do the pull-ups. Yes, exactly. Yes. So we had that in fifth grade, and it was shortly after I watched the Nadia movie. I'm like, I'm going to crush this physical fitness test, and so, and um, and I did pretty well. And I oh, just, yeah. and I was like, I love this. I love sports. People have told me, like all these peers have told me, like I can't, you know, I'll be the last picked for a team, or like sports isn't for you because of what you look like or what they think. I'm like, I love this. I'm going to crush it. And yeah. um, and it's just. So that was a big moment. Sports has been an incredibly liberating, wonderful What sports platform. were you into in high school? Uh, track and field. I did mm-hmm. the hurdles and the sprints and the jumps um, and uh, soccer. Mm-hmm. Um, so those two sports were my sports in high school. In yeah. And, and when then... did you learn how to rock climb? Because we're going to get into that. But that's it. so badass. I love, that's well, next like... level. <laughs> like track <laughs> and field is super baller, but <laughs> a female rock climber. Oh, my gosh. That's like, I'm really good at teaching beginners. Um, but I, 
I got into it because my friends were into it in college. And then I moved to Washington, D.C. And there's actually a lot of great rock climbing right around the D.C. area. You wouldn't necessarily think of that mm-hmm. intuitively. But my buddy and I moved down there. We had just gone. We'd just done some hiking and mountaineering. We're like, let's go figure out the whole rock climbing thing. There was an overnight trip to West Virginia. We went and we were like, this is awesome. We did this rock climbing, like the beautiful fall foliage. And then we were driving back to D.C. And we literally like we didn't go home. We went straight to the REI <laughs> and went and like picked you up would all love this it equipment. Equipment. I know. You might have to I move to know. Seattle from New York. I might have to. I might have to. So that's how it started. And then we went every weekend. And then um, it's a wonderful, it's really, it's not only puts you in beautiful places, it's really cathartic because it requires all of your focus. Oh, it yeah. requires you to empty your mind. Um, so you're focused on um, your next move. Not falling. Focus on not falling. And it's also one of those activities where the obvious is not necessarily the best way forward, which I felt like was such a good metaphor for life. Right. I love and that. So, and I learned a lot. And um, I I love it. Are I you still it. doing I it? No, I wish I, I mean, not enough. It's like a resolution to go back and do it more. Yeah. I, that and less working and, and more, and more exactly, TV. And exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. All good goals. More TV. <laughs> and so you ended up after high school going to Princeton. I mean, it's, that's yes. Like, it's not like, oh, I'm going to go to college and be first in my family to go to college. It's like, I'm not messing around here. I'm going to go to Princeton. <laughs> How did you even know about I Princeton? Was so and lucky. was there a college counselor at your school or? Um, did you just have incredible grades? Um, I um, we I knew about Princeton because we ended up moving to a town not far from Princeton, um, and my parents had known about it, and um, and I always I felt like in high school I wanted to go to a school that wasn't super big. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of How manageable. big is Princeton? At the time, it was just under, I want to say it was like around 5,000 undergrad. I think it's grown a little bit now. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't realize it was that small. It's small. It's small. Undergrad. And there's there's graduate, sco- there's graduate schools too, but I think another thing that attracted to me, that was attractive to me about going there was... Um, we were told uh, you really like the professors will teach your classes. You have access to all of these extraordinary humans who are doing really cool things mm-hmm. um, in a school that's a little bit smaller. Um, and it also doesn't have a business school or a med school or a law school. It's very focused on um, a lot of other academic fields in terms of their graduate school program, mm-hmm. um, in addition to an awesome public policy school program. So it just it, it's a little bit of a different dynamic. These are all the things that they told you yeah. and, like as I was a senior in high school. I'm like, what did you want to be when you grew? up when you were like a junior? Oh my God. I wanted to be, um, I wanted to go to the Olympics and I wanted to be a sports medicine doctor. <laughs> that lasted one semester. Did you take biology classes? I did. I did. And you're like, yeah, not for me. I did. I loved it. But I, but I was like, maybe. And one of my best friends to this day, um, she and I were in this biology lab on like Wednesday nights. And um, and we were sitting there with like these crickets and we were putting white out like on the crickets because that's what they told us to do to like track the cricket movements. And we looked at each other. We both wanted to be doctors. And maybe one day still, but we're like, maybe, you know, she ended up majoring in history and I majored in political science. Yeah. You're like, okay, check that box. So you chose Princeton because it was close to the school and was there an an, uh, idea that maybe if you didn't go there... Where else would you want to? I I was looking at um I was thinking about going far away. I was looking at Princeton. I was looking at Stanford and Cornell. And so those were like three. Oh, of if you had gone schools. to Cornell, I know who knew. Yeah. I mean, so I was looking at those three schools. Chad, Chad really... uh, Sue's husband went to Cornell. Yeah, my high school friend, my yes. childhood friend. Yeah. So you may have met there. Oh, we who might knows? have met there. I know. We keep saying like, what if? Like you play the what if game. Um, but I um I wanted to run track, and so I. I was looking at that as a criteria, mm-hmm. and I just really— Did you run track at Princeton? I did. Not very well. <laughs> but I loved it. See, it I keeps getting it. better and better. College athlete at Princeton. Okay. <laughs> 
Is there anything that you failed at so far? I'm dead serious. I was not. I was not very good at. What track are you and not college. good? But what are you not good at? What, oh, oh my God, so many things. I'm like fantastically mediocre at so many things. <laughs> so like seriously, because I will try everything. I like. I love being around passionate people. Yeah. And if you tell me that you're doing this, I'm like, I'm going to take guitar lessons with Josh. You know, I'm going to like, I love trying all of that stuff. And yeah. so, which means like, you can't be an expert in all of that. Yeah. Stuff. You got to um, just be like pretty a generalist. Yes. <laughs> yes. I love that. Big. And so when you were in school, when you decided I'm not going to track crickets using whiteout yes. and I don't want to be a doctor, um, what made you decide to study politics? Um, I loved the courses that they were offering and I loved the conversations that we got into. And I think being in an environment where you were encouraged to think about the world differently. Um, and that's what I loved about college. I mean, it really was a place for me that you could go and you had this freedom and not only the freedom, but the permission and the encouragement to be like, maybe that's not the way it should always be, you know, mm -hmm. or like, and so I found a lot of that energy in the political science classes. And I've always also been really fascinated by the world. And I think in those politics classes, you were thinking about global affairs and all these dynamics that create and shape the world that we see today and where it might go tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And so I loved it. It was really fun. And what do you do to stay informed day to day now? Um, I, I mean, given all the fake news and obviously now you're in the media industry. Yes. yes. What else do you... Um, ingest every day as far as um, media consumption? Um, I, I read a lot of time. <laughs> Good girl. I, I Thank you. Um, and I also, I actually read USA Today, the mm -hmm. app, every day. Um, I think it's a really accessible list of what's happening in the world. Um, I listen to a few podcasts here and there. Um, I also just have conversations because I want to know what what people are thinking about and mm -hmm. where they're because I feel like you can get all of this influx or this infusion of news from different sources but I'd love to know how people are digesting that mm -hmm. and what they're thinking about and what they're telling their kitchen table and all of that so I a lot of conversations yeah I love that and so um tell me what you did right when you graduated and how you ultimately decided to go back and get Two, no. <laughs> two master's degrees? Is that a mistake? It's possibly. <laughs> no, it's in my in my research. You have two? Two, literally? Two. You're nodding your head. I am, yes. Okay, yes. so tell me about that. How did um, you decide all of this? So I um after college, I went um spent a year in South Korea, which was a really wonderful way to connect with my roots, um, with a fellowship program. And then I came back and worked in the nonprofit sector again, thinking about how people make a difference in their various communities. Um, one was a program run by alumni of Princeton University, another was an organization based in DC focused on homelessness. Um and as I thought about what I wanted to do um, and the impact that I would love to maybe try to make and the people I wanted to learn from, um, a, my senior thesis in college was on um, French nuclear testing in the South Pacific. And it was based out of this wonderful summer internship that I had at the U.S. Mission to the U.N., which, was, which is one of the outposts of the U.S. State Department. And I just thought the conversations there were so interesting. Um, and I was like, I think I kind of want to do that. You know, I want to go and learn about warm and fuzzy things like security and defense in the world. Yeah, um, but I just think there's so much fear and collision and animosity and tension in the world. What are the ways that we're managing that? And what are the ways that we could possibly bridge those gaps? Um, and so I wanted to go back. So my first master's degree was at Columbia, a wonderful program in political science. Um, 
and at the end of that um, was lucky enough to uh, what's called the Presidential Management Fellowship Program, which I encourage everyone to apply to, um, that allows you to compete for certain slotted jobs across the federal government. And I was interested, again, in security and defense, so I applied to the State Department and the Pentagon, was incredibly lucky to get one of those slots. Um, it's a two-year fellowship that you rotate around and learn about how policy is made, you know, the difference that you might want to make. And Where did that take you? It's um, Geographically. So it Geographically, it started in D.C. My class and I, our first day was September 10th, 2001. So it really changed oh our, word, our worldview in terms of this, um, this area that we wanted to go into and the difference we wanted to make. And we saw um, how really amazing people got together to think about how to manage that moment and move forward. So in the world, that took me to D.C. I did a rotation at the Pentagon, um, uh, came back to New York at the U.S. Mission. So that was super fun. Um, went to Libya during this um, after I left um, the fellowship but stayed in the State Department um, and worked in all sorts of wonderful offices um, what was then the Bureau of Arms Control, so working on multilateral arms control, chemical, biological, and nuclear. At the Pentagon, worked on bilateral nuclear issues with Russia. Um, came back and worked on communications and congressional issues and sanctions. Wow. And um, a lot was going on. And um, I just learned from incredibly smart people. And to think about, my parents came to the U.S., you know, looking to build a life for their family. So to be able to represent the American flag and to go into an office every day where you were lucky enough to work with people who took that responsibility incredibly seriously uh, was a real privilege. Do you think that you're ever going to run for office? Oh my, I don't know about that. You're one of the only people I who I know that actually... people running for office. No, but in my mind, I'm like, <laughs> you would win. Oh, I you would. I can't I'm happy imagine. to support others. <laughs> You'd be so good. You should run for office. Oh, no, no, no. We won't do that. But so all of this shaped you. I mean, I know that your the bulk of your career has really been Rockefeller Foundation. A lot of it, yes, yes. And so that's it. Seems like almost like a pivot. How did they find you? How did and, that happen? Yeah, how did that happen? Yeah, it's um. So I was in New York with the State Department again at the U.S. Mission, and um, Chad and I were married, so it was like it was the best. And we realized we were probably going to be in New York for a little while. Um, and I thought, okay. Maybe um, maybe I'll look around and see what other opportunities there are. Um, the people whom I admired most in the government were those who had a real diversity of experiences. They can bring all of those perspectives to bear mm -hmm. on any particular challenge or opportunity rather than just one way of thinking. Mm -hmm. So I was like, all right, let's cast the net wide. So I looked at a whole bunch of places. Um, was lucky enough, this wonderful woman named Marilyn Maklowitz is an extraordinary, like, headhunter, talent recruiter in New York. Um, she is also an alum of Princeton, posted this cryptic international foundation, is looking for someone to work in the um, office of the president at a, and, uh, you know, apply. And so I did. Long story short, um, was able to get the job. And so the first job that I had there was being special assistant and director of the president's office to this mm -hmm. extraordinary woman named Judy Roden, who was the first woman to lead an Ivy League institution, the University of Pennsylvania. She broke barriers her entire career. And so to be able to learn with her and work alongside her was like would a you, daily Would you call clinic. her a mentor? Yes, for sure. And are there other mentors that you've had along the way? Yeah, there are. I would say... Um, they come in all different shapes and sizes. One of my first mentors, aside from my mom and dad, are um, my track coach in high school, Tom yeah. Harrington, Coach yeah. H. He just 
taught me to to think differently and to think big and to believe in myself and um, really was an extraordinary leader and coach. Others um, uh, in, this, in the State Department, um, one of my amazing bosses was uh, Ambassador Mark Grossman, who just every day personified integrity, mm-hmm. no matter how difficult the situation um, and no matter what the day brought, you just yeah. knew he led with integrity. Coming back to Rockefeller Foundation, for yes. those who don't know, what is the mission of Rockefeller Foundation and, and what was your ultimate role between when you started and when you left? Yes. No, it's great. I mean, it really is to promote the well-being of humanity was the entire premise at the beginning. It was one of the very first foundations in the U.S. And the how world. big is the foundation? It is. Their endowment is a little over $4 billion, I'm going to say. Um, and the foundation staff, when I left, it was just on, it was around 200. Um, it's probably still around that range. Um, they, at the time I left a couple of years ago, were um, headquarters in New York, um, Africa office based in Nairobi, Asia office based in Bangkok, and really a history of working on many issues, including um, most recently climate, food security, agriculture, public health. They were one of the leading forces behind creating schools of public health around the world. Um, just really forces for, for change across a wide variety of areas. They've mm-hmm. gotten into food and food waste. And another area is energy and power and making sure that those who don't have access to that energy grid are able to have access. And so mm-hmm. we work around, they work around the world. And so you started in the office of, of, the, the, president, of yeah. the president. And then I know that you guys ended up moving to Singapore, we which did. we were sad because we were in New York at the time. <laughs> and we were like, don't go. But what a cool experience. It was amazing. And what took you there? And what did you do while you were there? Um, so Chad's job brought us there. Yeah. And they are, um, they're amazing. They had us look at various cities in Asia, where, where would be one that we felt that we could really... Um, is it true that it's super clean there? It's very clean. It's I mean, I feel like clean. that's what everyone talks about is how clean <laughs> it is, but there's other things. There are. It's amazingly clean. It's really diverse. It's this wonderful... Um, people often say when they live there, oh, it's great because you can travel all over Asia. But Chad and I we, Chad and I did that too. We were very lucky, but we also found that there's so much to explore in Singapore. I mean, there's rainforest. We both joined sports teams. We both did a bunch of stuff there. And... The people and the history there is incredibly rich. Um, so we loved it. Absolutely loved it. And while I was there for the first part of the time, I was still with Rockefeller. I was uh, commuting up to Bangkok, um, helping to manage that office and to transition the new leader there. It was great. And he's still with the foundation. He's amazing, Ashvin. Um, and then I rolled off of Rockefeller, settled in full-time in Singapore, did um, join some nonprofit boards, um, was trying to figure out the social impact space there, which mm-hmm. was really at um, an energizing moment. So worked on um, an impact investing um, social enterprise that started up there called Asia IIX. And um, and also dipped a toe into acting, which was really, really fun. I loved and, that uh, when I came across that in, so, in my research. And and on the board thing, so many different board roles that you've had. Really lucky. Um, how do you decide what boards to join and what do you see as the role of a board member? Um, I think I have to be passionate about the topic. I mean, mm-hmm. just really, do I believe this organization or this group of people or or is really genuinely going to make a difference mm-hmm. and and can I help them make a difference um and so I've I've loved the boards I've been on and um I do see the role of a board member I didn't realize this when I first joined a board which was 
I don't know, I think in my early 20s, it was the Special Olympics of New Jersey, which was a wonderful group that I'd been involved in. And then I learned what it meant to be a board member. It's really to um, help give advice, to help think about um, what does impact really mean? What is the bottom line? And um, how can we all help you get there? And also to be fiduciary, you know, stewards, um, to really make sure that things are being done in an accountable way um, and uh, and really help be a sounding board, mm-hmm. but not just window dressing, really be there in the best boards, like to tell the truth, right? Of course. Is this working? Is it not working? Yeah. Um, how can we help us get there? And yeah. so... So tell me about the acting thing. You, oh my God. You touched on that and I... that. <laughs> You went there and said, hey, I should find an agent? Or like, how did you? <laughs> so so I, I went there and I, I've always had such deep respect for the acting. The Oscars were last night. I mean, it's a, oh, like, yeah. I've always had such deep respect. And it's um, and so I went there and I had a little bit more time. And a friend of mine was running um, a theater called The Substation. And they were giving, they were doing acting classes. So I'm like, oh, well, I'll go support The Substation and I'll go take some classes. Anyway, it was really fun, the class. And then I thought it'd be the end of it because as much as I love people, I'm fairly private when it comes to like online presence and all of that. And to be an actor, you got to put yourself out there. You got to put headshots out there. You got to put like stuff. I was just like, I don't know. Um, Anyway, uh, one of my acting classmates was getting some auditions and was doing some stuff. And so anyway, we'd get together every once in a while. I'm like, that sounds really fun. So I, I, I was like, okay, deep breath. <laughs> and I did it. And one of the commercials is still running in Singapore. Wait, we, we were just what? there in November and it's, it's still running, which is super fun. And I loved it. And the best thing I learned, which I was not expecting, is that while I've always admired actors and always thought to myself, gosh, they're so good at like pretending to be someone else. Oh, yeah, so brave. So brave. But then I realized even like this tiny pinky toe that I dipped in that actually it's like the rest of us who are acting every day. We like we're like, this is my title. This is pedigree, like blah, blah, blah. Like if you're if you're an actor um, and you're auditioning or you're in a piece like they don't care where you went to college, who you had lunch with that day, what your glossy resume says, like all they want to know is how much truth can you bring to this moment in service of the story that you want to tell. And that's it. And it just was such a, what I found to be a really beautiful revelation. I was like, oh, they're actually, you know what? They're not acting, air quotes. Um, they're, they're telling the truth, you know, and how yeah. do you strip everything away and tell the truth? And those lessons I try to carry with me. I never thought life. about it like that, but it actually makes total sense to me. Most people, I mean, by the time that you left Rockefeller, you left there as chief people officer, um, correct? I, when I was there, I had shifted from that role to... Um, I was leading some of their facilities and services and also working on... Um, need to keep this in the breath. Um, but there, Rockefeller is this extraordinary convening center in Bellagio, Italy. And so I was working on the New York side of that, on like programming and support. Wow. It was so inspiring. So inspiring. I just want to be you. No, like, no. Can, I have, can I have like an eighth of Vice your job versa. opportunities? Versa. Oh, that is so cool. So a lot of people would have just said, hey, I've got a good cushy situation. I'm proven here. I've been here 10 years. The executives all love me. What... Um, what made you open to leaving and to considering time and how did that happen? Yeah, it's, um, I mean, I love, I still love Rockefeller. It's changing the world, you know, and of I course. just to get up and be able to do that with brilliant colleagues. So it was 
Loved it there. And then I got a call in the fall of 2018 from someone at Time. And they said, the sale is going through. We have this um, opportunity to really grow and be our own thing. And one of the first things we need to do is think about our people and our culture and our hiring and recruiting and all of that. Um, would you want to come? and Or would you want to be considered, I should say? And uh, And I was like tell me more. Because <laughs> um, I really, I loved Rockefeller and had been so fortunate to move around in a lot of different functions. Um, I had a few conversations with various members of Time and um, it took probably like eight nanoseconds for me to be like, this sounds like the opportunity of a lifetime. And mm-hmm. it really, there are probably three themes that I look for in an opportunity. This is more retrospective rather than intentional. But as I think about it, one is, again, being around passionate people. Two is being around um, a community of colleagues who think about the world, are so open-minded, and also want to bring the world internal, just just really welcome a diverse and inclusive set of conversations and perspectives. Um, and then third, um, being mission-driven, you know, being part of something that's bigger than any of us. Um, And I felt all of those elements tremendously with the opportunity with time. And so one thing led to another and I met more people and then I was really lucky (laughs) to get the opportunity. So really all of this has shaped you in so many different ways and brought you to the place where you are now. Yes. um, Where you're at time. Yay. And Tell me about how time has changed. I feel like it's a it's an institution. It totally and is. And it really is very Americana. Yeah. You know? No, completely. Um, it's uh, we're a 97-year-old startup, as we like to say. Um, and we um as of a little over a year ago, you know, for most of our history, we were one title amidst a stable of titles underneath a parent company. And what we have the opportunity now with extraordinary ownership and leadership is to be our own, our own thing. Um, and so we spun out. Um, at the end of 2018, um, and are really building our own, you know, our the infrastructure for our own media company, our own events, and how we want to show up in the world, the stories that we want to tell, the vehicles through which we want to tell them, you know, getting more into events, thinking more about multi-platform um, kinds of experiences, um, building a studios business. There's so much. What I love every day, one of the many, many things I love every day is just being around people who wake up in the morning wanting to shine a light on the stories that make this world go round and wanting to have the courage to shine that light on not only the stories, but the storytellers. And and how do we do that in the best way? And time is um, an institution wonderfully in the U.S. and also around the world um, at a time where there can be a lot of mistrust in media and a lot of confusion and a lot of animosity towards media. Mm-hmm. Um, we feel really responsible for stewarding um the trust and integrity and accessibility that time has built over its almost century of history. Oh, almost and century. So, that's, I know. Isn't that's that wild? Nuts. And so what's your role there? What are you hopeful about yeah. in, the, in the coming year um, for your role oh, it's and great. for time? I love it. I um, So my role, my title is a chief people officer. My role is to do everything from thinking about our people and culture every day. It comes... Um, our recruiting, the breadth of HR functions, really thinking about talent acquisition and retention, um, engagement, what makes, um, you know, what are people excited to do every day? How do we are small enough? We're just around 275 right now worldwide. So we're small enough that we can really think about, okay, um, you know, you 
uh, staff member of time, you've chosen to be with us right now and we've mm-hmm. chosen you. How do we honor this moment in the best way? How do we make sure that you have the clarity and everything you need to get your job done in the best way possible? And like, what are your hopes and dreams? Like, where do you want to go and how does this fit along that journey? Um, so we're very much still in building mode because as we spun out as a new company, lots of systems and infrastructure that we need to build mm-hmm. around our core editorial product and our staff. And so we're what, really, is, what, what do you mean when that. you say core editorial product? You mean um, so, Time yes, Magazine? So, yeah, it's our, our magazine, our website, and our staff. So like our writers, our journalists, our reporters, mm-hmm. our editors who have been extraordinary and really um, the core of our content creators. And around that we're building, I mean, my function is new, our finance function is new, our legal function is new, building up our sales and marketing infrastructure. Um, it's been really exciting. What it's was it so before? It was part of our previous parent companies. So our parent companies were would have a whole infrastructure that would serve all of the multiple titles. So previously, mm. Time Inc., um, which was uh, sold to Meredith, which was our immediate previous company, parent company, um, examples of the titles were Time, Sports Illustrated, Fortune, People, etc. And so each of them has a very distinct identity, mm-hmm. but a lot of the back office and different needs functions, and different needs and different audiences. And, um, and so a lot of the operational infrastructure was shared across. I see. Uh, uh, by the parent Shared company. resources among Correct. all of it. Okay. Correct. And so then in what year did Mark and Lynn Benioff acquire time? Um, in November of 2018. Okay. And how has it changed since that acquisition and what has that been like? Um, they are... I think it's especially for a brand like time, which has always led with trust and integrity, to have owners who embody that every single day has really been extraordinary for people. I mean, they they are just the real deal. They show up to us as they show up in the world, really thinking about social impact. Every conversation with them starts and ends with people and culture and trust and integrity and equality. And I remember when they first came, it was a couple of weeks after I started at the end of 2018, they came shortly after the sale and um, they stood there in our New York newsroom and you could feel people's shoulders rolling back because it was so inspiring to have ownership and owners and these two amazing human beings say that we are here to support you. We're so inspired by the trust and integrity. We are here to to help you grow. And it was amazing. And that has been consistent since day one. That's incredible. And tell me about some of the events that you guys are planning. One of our most well-known franchises over the past almost 20 years is the Time 100. Mm -hmm. And that has brought together in late April of every year 100 of the world's most influential people. In every um, category. Across all sorts of sectors. And what's important is that it's not just the 100 most people we like, you know, like 100 people we like and are doing like, quote, good things. Um, It's actually people who are also doing... um, there, you know, there are negative influences as much as positive influences, and so oh, it is influential in all of the dimensions. And who decides of that who world. gets invited? The editors. Okay. Um, and so the editors decide who goes, and we have an issue, a print issue that comes together, and obviously mirrored online, the online experience, and then, um, and then there's an event there that uh, at on this one evening in April where. It's wonderful. There are performances by some of the, the members on the list. Um, it's a dinner. It's a, their series of toasts about what, you know, what it means to be mm-hmm. influential. What's great is that you have, you know, you have Hollywood stars completely freaking out about like the scientists and the advocates who are not like your typical bold-faced names, but who are changing the world. And it's just, it's wonderful to see everyone 
be such fans of each other and also mm-hmm. recognize how much work it takes to get to the top of your field and the responsibility of like, okay, now that we're here, what do we do with this opportunity? Yeah. Um, is there and, is there an opportunity for like collaboration? It's what we're looking at right now. Like, yeah. like how do we bring together this Time 100 constellation um, to do good in the world together if it, if the synergies are there. Last year, for the first time, we did a one-day summit on top of the um, the gala in the evening, and it brought together voices from across the aisle, across all sorts of different sectors, um, and to really have conversations about what matters in this world. And mm-hmm. this year, we're going to we're now expanding it to two days, which is really exciting. Um, is it? A, and it's around the same time. Yeah, it's around the same time. Yep, April twenty first and twenty second. That is real, and um, always in New York. Um, it has always been in New York to date. You know, we'll we'll think about where it goes from there. But New York has been the hub. Yeah. And so, is there anyone that you're? I mean, you can't necessarily say who's going to be there this year. But <laughs> um, did you get to go last year? I did. I was really lucky. Yeah. And so, um, I noticed that there's a lot of word "lucky" being thrown around. I don't I, think that all of this is <laughs> luck, my love. <laughs> I think that you've quite earned your spot. Oh, um, that's nice. Of so. You. Is, was there anyone that you were just like super nervous about? Because I know that you're, you probably are um, more informed than the average person around who's in the room as it relates to kind of just various fields because you've had so much exposure. Yeah. Um, was there anyone that yeah, you were lucky. just like, oh my gosh. Lord. Um, I will mention two people. One who happens to be a, a wonderful friend, but... Um, Maria Ressa, whom everyone should know if they don't know her already. She is Filipino-American. She lives in Manila, and she runs a um, media company called Rappler and has been—she um, has sought, as we in journalism try to do, she has sought the truth. Um, and because of that, has come under a fair bit of persecution. Um, so for her to see her, it was less being intimidated. It was just more— to see her in this room amidst all of these extraordinary global influencers um, stand up and talk about what it means to tell the truth and what it means with her. I mean, you want optimism? She is optimism incarnate. She is just, for everything she's gone through, she's like, telling the truth is what we need to do. And this is our responsibility. And that's how we make change. And um, and so to see her in that room, share that message with that group of people was which was a moment I'll never forget. I mean, she is very, very special. Um, in terms of other superstars who were there, um, gosh, I um, Khalid performed, so that was really fun. And yeah. he and I love I love his music. I also love how humble he is and how much joy he brings to the stage. And he was he was really nervous, and he was so I'm sure. And I just. And I think, again, it is that shared humility and understanding of, like, what it takes. I mean, to watch everyone who by themselves is just a superstar and mm-hmm. literally a rock star um, be in awe of everyone else. I think that that is something that's also really special. You don't see that very often because mm-hmm. you see these very carefully curated public personas. Um, and that shared vulnerability was really special. And so he was just like, I was so nervous. I, you know, I, would, ima- like, I would imagine so. And, I mean, obviously, this is influencers. And we also talked about um, social media. I guess it would be the case that you wouldn't probably go on any of these people's Twitter or Instagram account and see like 1,200 followers or something because 
People need social media now. I know. What if they just were like, oh, let's just quickly research what we find on social media to kind of vet these people. And suddenly you look, you're like, (laughs) they have. Apparently they're not such influencers after all. No, I'm I'm kind of kidding, but not really. Like, it's so weird to me today that someone out of nowhere can become an influencer. Totally. And I think the definition of influencer influential predates... The, the influencer capital I we see yes. now that's that's pivots on social media and followers. So I think they've carried that forward. So I think the integrity part, the integrity part and that you can be making a difference and not be on social at all. Right. Yeah. And so I think and still get to be on this top. 100. Yes, yeah. exactly. I think it's one facet that they consider. For example, if you have a huge following, um, do you, how do you use that platform? You know, is that a place where you've shared messages um, that have increased the influence on things that you care about or shared the word um, or been courageous, actually, you know, to send your message out to millions of people. I can't wait to see who makes the list. I know. I know. Me too. Me too. I love that um, when I was asking about your job, not on the podcast, you said that you wake up every day and pinch yourself. I do. I do. I really do. I mean, it's very kind of almost like trendy right now or just kind of current to talk about gratitude. Yeah. It seems like it's been really a part of your DNA always. And a lot of people talk about that that's one of the best um, ways that you can find happiness is to just recognize what you have and to be grateful for it. Yes. I would imagine that, I mean, clearly you have the most kick-ass job ever and the most kick-ass husband and you live in the best city in the world. (laughs) I mean, there is a lot. Seattle's pretty great too. Seattle's pretty great too. I love New York also, but you have a lot going for you, but I would imagine that this would be your attitude if you were like a barista at Starbucks, totally. you'd probably be the same way, I, which I just love. Yeah. I mean, I well, that's really nice of you to say. I do feel, and I know I've said lucky so many times, I, I am so grateful for every opportunity. I mean, one of my favorite jobs was, you know, working at the ski resort and mm-hmm. teaching climbing and, um, and there, um, like every single job along the way. And I just think every moment you have, no matter whether it's a job or just being out in the world is an opportunity to connect with someone. And yeah. I just... I've been in a situation, um, gratefully, not as terrible as too many people face if they're bullied or anything else, but that assumptions are made based on based on a glance, based on preconceived notions, based on fear, based on lots of things outside of your control. And I just feel like I'm such a relentless optimist in the power of human-to-human connection. I am Whether, in the same way. Know, I completely yes, believe in that. Totally. And yeah. I just think that is the opportunity you have every day. And to think that I... I can do that in this current job or try my very best to do that is a real gift. And I, um, and I do not take that for granted. I yeah. mean, it's just, a... I see you do it, um, in the littlest ways and I haven't spent time with you in the last, since we moved to Seattle, hardly at all. And just seeing you in the last, we got to see each other this weekend, but I noticed you at the end of dinner, go out of your way to walk to thank our server Hmm. and to say goodbye to the hostess and make it like an intentional eye-to-eye contact. And then just now getting coffee to talk to the person in the line behind us and the person serving us a coffee and kind of ask them about their day. Those are the little things. If you did nothing else, take away Princeton, take away time, take away all of it. The badass athlete, rock climber, photographer, actor. I mean, all the slashes, take them all away. And it's so true. It's just like make somebody's day a little bit better and connect with them. 
Yeah. They, I mean, I really love that. So yeah. um, I want to be mindful of your time. But at the end of my podcast, I always ask um, people what fuels you. And I think I know your answer, but I'm going to let you <laughs> articulate it so beautifully as you do. I don't know about that. I mean, I was um, uh, gratitude and humanity. And, um, you know, we talk about connecting with people. I mean, people take a chance on me every day, you know, and I think um, never taking that for granted just to say, you know what, it's a choice we have every day to say hello to somebody and to think what, um, you know, what, like what's beating in that heart and where they're going and, um, and no assumptions, no boxes is what I like to say. So it's really gratitude, open mind, open heart, um, and, uh, and some optimism along the way. I love it. I wish I could like bottle you and keep you close to me and close to my kids. Oh my God. Your kids are amazing. Shauna's kids are amazing. That's, that's very sweet. They have a great mom and dad. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. What a treat. Such an honor. Oh my gosh. What a joy. Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You. Thank you.